A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, yeah, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're going to speak about how Christians with different political views can still work together. And we're going to be joined by Sir Steve Webb, a Christian who is a Liberal Democrat minister in a coalition government working alongside Conservatives in the Department for Work and Pensions. Before we speak to Steve, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, one of the things I think you'll be encouraged to hear is the fact that Kate Forbes, the SNP's Secretary for Finance, has been speaking about her Christian faith to the BBC. The Scottish Cabinet Minister told Nick Robinson that she believes in the person of Jesus Christ and that he died for her and saved her. But she did say that she was also prone to tiptoeing around her faith in the public eye because she doesn't want to be seen as someone who only represents Christians. And Forbes also commented that she is astonished sometimes that people can't debate at arm's length and not take people's disagreement as personal dislike. Elsewhere, the Christian journalist Martin Bashir has said he deeply regrets using fake bank statements to try to obtain the Princess Diana interview. Bashir says he doesn't think the deceit played a part in her reason for doing the interview and says, I hope that people will allow me the opportunity to show that I am properly repentant of what happened. And it has been a year since the death of George Floyd, which led to a huge national conversation about racism in the UK as well. I spoke this week with a pastor who worked with Floyd on a community housing project, who said his murder has opened up the doorway for us to talk about how black bodies are created in the image of God and should be accorded the same dignity that we would accord to anybody else. Tim, it's been a year since that happened, but there's been violence recently as well. Yeah, that's right. As we as we speak, Cara, the leading British Black Lives Matter activist, Sasha Johnson, is in intensive care in London after she was shot on Sunday. Now, I hope you will join me, all of you, in praying for her and her family at the end of this programme. Now, neither the motive nor the attacker have yet been identified. We don't know yet whether she was the intended target. Sasha, as a prominent activist, had received death threats. The issue of violence in our politics has has raised its head again in recent days as a prominent Northern Ireland loyalist told a House of Commons committee that he would not rule out a return to violence. This week, we see that Labour have chosen Kim Ledbetter to be their candidate in the Batley and Spen by-election. That was the seat represented by her sister, Jo Cox, who was murdered in 2016 as she dutifully went about serving her constituents. When I was my party's leader, I received at least one credible death threat from a prescribed organisation and several more that the police considered to be of less concern. When I spoke to the police about this, I was horrified to find that this was just a standard experience and also that women in the public eye receive a disproportionately high number of violent threats. Acts of violence tend not to spring up spontaneously. Hate and vitriol in our public debate, whether it be online or in person, surely creates the soil from which violence can spring. The UK feels a very divided place. There are many who see culture war as beneficial to them politically, or else who are swept along by their passions until they see the other side as not just in the wrong, but morally inferior. 
We can also feel pressure to conform in our beliefs to one tribe or another. And there is no freedom to be nuanced, to tolerate rational debate for fear of being expelled from the tribe. As Christians, we should seek to model a better way. We can and should be angry at injustice, but we must see those who take a different view to us as people of immense dignity created in God's own image. So we are to treat them with kindness, gentleness and respect. We also see today's political issues as important to the welfare of our neighbour, but at the same time, we consider those issues to be temporary, just as every ideology and every government is temporary too. So we don't need to panic or explode in fury if we find ourselves on the losing side, nor gloat or denigrate our opponent if we're winning. When we write or speak, we must remember that those we disagree with are fearfully and wonderfully made by the one whom we should fear. They are beings for whom our God chose to die. They may spit venom at us, yet we are called to show grace towards them. To treat one with whom we disagree with grace might feel an unsettling or even dangerous thing as we potentially invite criticism from our own side. But this approach cannot just be theoretical. It must and it can be practical because we're not living in our own strength. This Sunday was Pentecost, where we remember the Holy Spirit first coming on the disciples and transforming them from terrified and uncomprehending into powerful messengers of the gospel. A reminder that the Spirit can give us all the strength we need to be his witnesses in a time of confusion and anger. To point to the one who created all of us as bearers of his image and who will one day reconcile all things to himself. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week we're talking about how to work alongside your political rivals. Can two Christians get on if they have different beliefs about politics whilst the same beliefs about the gospel? So Steve Webb was the Liberal Democrat MP for North Avon from 1997 to 2010. Then his constituency was split in two and he carried on being the MP for Thornbury and Yate until 2015. During those coalition years where the Liberal Democrats were part of a coalition with the Conservatives, Steve became the Minister for Work and Pensions, working alongside Christians in the Conservative Party, including the Secretary of State in that department, Ian Duncan Smith. Well, Steve, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the programme. Before we get into all the political stuff, tell us first how you became a Christian. Thanks, Tim. It's nice to catch up again. Um, yes, I didn't really encounter practising Christians in my childhood at all, perhaps the, the odd one, and they probably seemed a bit odd, I suppose. So it's really my first term at university, uh, studied at um, Hartford College, Oxford. They had a scheme for bright kids from, uh, I was going to say Duff schools, that's a bit unfair, but you know, from schools that wouldn't normally send someone to Oxbridge, and I, I got a place there, and in my first term met committee Christians for the first time, went along to church. I was musical, so I got involved in music and so on, and um, became a Christian in my in my first term. And, uh, you know, shockingly, that's what, 37 years ago. So you'd hope you'd be getting the hang of it by now, but you never quite seem to, do you really? Um, and I think, you know, if I think of my friends from university time, it's mostly friends I made through the church and my best man was uh, in the music group at the church um, and that's continued to this day you know many of the friends I still have from the world of politics are fellow Christians rather than necessarily people from my tribe. And talking about the tribe um, you got involved in politics but not at university you'd already got yourself into the world of academia professionally um, but you decided to get involved in the world of politics following the 92 election tell me a little bit more about that. 
That's right. It's funny. I met up with some friends who I knew at university and they were amazed when I became an MP and a minister because they said, but you, you weren't political, Steve, you know. Um, and I think what happened for me was I went to work for the Institute for Fiscal Studies, a sort of sober, non-partisan think tank for years. I loved it. You know, great job. Worked for Andrew Dillnot, who was my first boss, who went on to do the big social care report. Lovely Christian man, great kind of role model for me. And over the years, I got a bit frustrated with saying, well, here are the facts, here are the figures on the one hand, on the other hand. And I remember once saying to Andrew, well, what, what do we think? And he said, we don't think anything. You know, we set the facts out and then other people decide. And in the 92 election, the Conservatives had been in for 13 years. And although I wasn't a member of a party, I knew I, I, knew I wasn't a Conservative. Uh, and, you know, aid cuts and cuts to benefits and all that kind of stuff. And I'd assumed they would lose in 92. And when they won again, my heart just sank. I remember the 92 general election, David Amos's smiling face from the count at Basildon, and that crucial moment, David Amos's smile drove me into politics, basically. Um, so I, I got involved with the Lib Dems, mainly at a national level with policy, because that was kind of my thing. And then in 95, we moved west. My wife, Helen, is an ordained minister in the Church of England. She was looking for hospital chaplaincy jobs. And I said, well, let's go west rather than north, because I'm living in London at this point. Let's go west. That felt a bit more fertile territory. I mean, obviously, you're the exception, Tim, but, you know, West was good for the Lib Dems, so we ended up living near Bristol. I found a, a seat which, which the locals had worked hard, but didn't look a great prospect in one go. You know, it's the, I often say it was the home of the, the badminton horse trials, the Beaufort Hunt and Chipping Sobbery. Uh, so it wasn't an obvious Lib Dem gain, as it were. Um, and much to my amazement and everybody else's, I got elected in 97. Quick reminder then, I guess, in 1992, after the Conservatives won for the fourth time, many people thought, well, how on earth could they ever lose? So a little <laughs> reminder, may, may, maybe some hope for the 50% of the... <laughs> Or of that have a similar mind. So, so you you became an MP in ninety seven. You know, shockingly. In in I mean, you have to forgive me. I was in the leisure centre at Leyland when your results came through, and I thought, where's Northaven? Yes, um, you weren't the only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but obviously, fast forward another thirteen years, and you become a minister in a government that includes Liberal Democrats. How on earth did that feel? Well, it was astonishing, really. I mean, I kind of. You know, I never thought I'd become an MP. When I became an MP, I never thought I'd get re-elected. When I got re-elected, you know, the idea that you'd be in government, you know, you 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 know, on the whole, people don't join the Liberal Democrats as a fast track to power and glory kind of thing. Um, but there we were, coalition, and I nearly didn't stand in 2010. You know, it had all MPs' expenses row, and although I wasn't caught up in it, you know, the general mudslinging and atmosphere, as you remember, was pretty horrible. And I don't, I'd pretty much had enough, and I was persuaded by the local party to give it one more go in 2010, and I'm so glad. Um, so, yeah, so I found myself doing a subject I loved, which was pensions. I know not a sentence you hear very often, but, you know, it was a topic I really cared about. So I was appointed to the department I wanted to be in, alongside Ian Duncan Smith, and I think you know, Ian is often caricatured, you know, he, as you hinted, his politics and mine couldn't be further apart, you know, he's a rampant Brexiteer, I'm a Remainer, all that sort of stuff. But I think the reason it worked was twofold, really. I mean, one is, actually, I think, Ian, having been a Conservative leader, could have just gone off, made his money in the city, been on boards, been a big wig and so on. But what did he do instead? He went to Glasgow, saw how the benefit system wasn't working for people and set up a think tank on social justice, for goodness sake. Then he gets mm. to be in ministerial office with a single passion of delivering benefit reform. And, you know, again, you can disagree with how it was done. But actually, the goal, I felt his heart was in the right place. I felt he did want to take a complicated system of six benefits, turn it into one and all, all of those arguments we had at the time. But, you know, I think if I'd felt... I was with a conservative colleague who just wanted to sort of slash and burn. I couldn't have gone to bed at night and 
slept, you know, because I felt he wanted to achieve good things at a time of financial pressure, you know, we could make it work. So I think there's mutual respect and mutual loyalty. And he trusted me, you know, it took time. I think he was suspicious of me probably, but he realized he could trust me. Over time, he would tell me stuff that would have been very damaging in the national press that, of course, never found its way into the national press. And over time, it became quite a strong bond, despite our continuing political differences. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Sir Steve Webb, former Liberal Democrat minister and MP. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Steve, being in the coalition government with people who think very differently to you politically, you just hinted at earlier on, means that there are things that you might uh, achieve, wins that you might have under your belt that you can never really crow about or uh, get much in the way of political credit for. What's that like? It can be really hard when you're vilified publicly and A, you know that you largely agree with the people who are vilifying you. And again, you've been in, you've been in that space, but also where you actually know you have achieved things that nobody will ever know about. Now, one, one example of that submarine surfacing was a case when the Conservatives were very keen to save some money on welfare. They decided, George Osborne, after a year on benefit, you'd have your housing benefit cut by 10%. Classic sort of Conservative philosophy of, some would say, starve people back to work. But, you know, the whole idea of, uh, you know, Uh, putting pressure on people, financial pressure on people to get back to work. And it got announced in a budget and it got put in a budget red book. You know, it was official policy and we all hated it and we tried to fight it. And eventually we got that policy reversed. So I can show you a document with it in and a document with it out. And I can say, yeah, we did that. But there were dozens of occasions where because we were in the room where it happened, we were stopping the stuff ever being announced in the first place and or mitigating it. So, you know, a cut would be announced and people would say, how can you sleep at night? You've just cut such and such. And I'd say, but if I hadn't been in the room where it happened, actually, it would have been much worse. But of course, you can't run around saying that all the time. Otherwise, there's no trust. And, you know, so it's it's you feel unjustly treated all the time. But then, you know, you don't go into sympathy. You just you know, at the end of five years, I was able to look back and say, I delivered stuff I believed in. I hope I made things better than they would have been. Mm. Now, I don't want to get into anything uh, personal here, any confidences, but obviously Ian Duncan Smith being a Christian as well. And I think I would agree with you, his his motivations are, are good. He could easily have gone off and earned an awful lot of money and left politics. And yet he has stayed involved because of things he's passionate about. Were there times when you discussed your faith? Um, I think... We would have the odd conversation, particularly on, I mean, I hate the phrase moral issues, but you know what I mean in Parliament, it's kind of code for abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, these kind of sets of issues where there sometimes isn't a strong party line. And occasionally we'd have a we'd have a quiet chat about, you know, which way we we're going to vote or what, what our thinking was. And it was just to save space, you know, wouldn't go any further than that, really. But I've been blessed by having Christians in the workplace, as it were. So they used to joke that it was the Department for Worship and Prayer, because uh, there was there's Ian and myself, there was Philip Estrada, who was his advisor who was a keen Christian, the permanent secretary was a Christian and so on. Um, and, in, and in the House of Commons, you know, I had the, the blessing of Christian colleagues and friends from all parties. I'm still in touch with, you know, a few weeks ago, we had a Zoom with six of us, two Labour, two Conservative, a unionist and myself, still friends, followed each other's families and so on. And, you know, those bonds go deeper, I think, than, than the tribes that separate us. Well, I remember when I first got elected in, in 2005, becoming aware of of your of your group through your your cell if you like within uh, Christians in Parliament half a dozen of you who uh, you call yourselves the G six is that right that's right yes yeah. <laughs> yes modestly <laughs> yes, very modestly <laughs> and that is a collection of 
MPs, Christians from many parties, uh, not just from 97 when you first became an MP, but is still a great support to you to the present day. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've used the word role model once already, you know, someone like Gary Streeter, you know, it's not a secret, it's been leading figure in Christians in Parliament for many years. It's been a real kind of mentor role model, you know, he'd hate me saying your father in the faith because he's not that old but you know that fact I, I think that's really important and then as I get older I try and be that person for other people mm. but I think having that just sort of people who just care about you as an individual because you know what it's like in party politics there's always that slight sense of rivalry and who's in which camp and all the rest of it and ironically when you have a relationship with people outside the party you know you know you think differently about stuff you know we used to joke we'd have a meal together and three of us would go off and vote one way three would go back the other way and we'd come back for pudding you know and it didn't matter it didn't mean we didn't believe what we believe politically but we there were things more important than that really really important example I think and we we obviously often on this program um I mean I think you're the first person I've spoken to on this program who's actually a member of the same party as me at (laughs) a point in time so um thank you very much indeed first of all (laughs) But also, we, we, we spend a lot of time, I guess, thinking about how people who can uh, have very you know, wildly divergent political views can be on the same page in terms of our, of our faith and how, to quote uh, others, you know, the kingdom is more important than your, your tribe. Have you got any top tips for, for listeners who are either in local politics or just find it difficult to accept that a Christian can be part of a different political party or movement to them? Well, I, th- I suppose I, I'm always tempted to say, look at the church. I mean, the idea that the Christian church is one homogeneous lump of people who all believe the same thing and do things the same way is absurd, isn't it? You know, the body is diverse. You know, there are different parts of the body have different roles. Yes, of course, there's a common thread, but even our beliefs vary in their manifestation. So why wouldn't you think that Christians could think, you know, so, so you know, my socialist colleagues think that the most important thing is mutual support and that perhaps the state has a greater role. My conservative colleagues think that, you know, we were created as individuals, unique, and, and the individual has to flower. Our liberals, we believe in diversity and, and you know, the, the, the freedom to be who you are. And, and all of those things are threads that are compatible, I think, with the Christian gospel. We just perhaps have different emphases. One other thing I'd say is if you are engaging with, with a local MP, do it with grace. Mm. You know, whether you agree with their politics or disagree with their politics, you know, the, the song from our youth, Tim, I'm going to pretend we're the same age here, our song from our youth, what the world needs now is, and I want to say grace, sweet grace, mm. not condemnation, sweet condemnation. You know, there was plenty of condemnation out there. If you're a Christian, you engage with a politician, whether you share their politics or not, do it graciously, not with condemnation. It will make a world of difference. Well, forgive us if this sounds a bit Lib Demi and self-indulgent, but Steve, you're the first Liberal Democrat I've interviewed on this podcast. We obviously did a thing that you and I will think was the right thing going into coalition and and, uh, being in government and taking the opportunity to do good. But because of the reasons you set out that we sometimes can't crow about our achievements, we got no credit. In fact, quite the opposite. And yet other parties that perhaps avoid power end up getting political benefit. That doesn't seem very just. How does that work out? <laughs> no, I mean, I suppose you don't you don't want 
people need your reward now. I mean, you know, what you want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant at the right moment. You know, mm. along the way is nice, but, but there's only one that really matters. And I think, I think for me, you know, I didn't join the party as I thought I'd be in power. You know, I joined in 1992 when the party had just gone from six to 20 MPs or whatever it was. And it's people like Alan Beath, who's a Christian and who, you know, you just felt were people in it for the right reason and who at the end of their career would look back and say, you know, I held to my principles. I helped individuals, you know, as an MP, you're doing that every day, every week. So, um, yes, it would be nice. I mean, you know, we have a big debate about whether coalition politics works in a first past the post electoral system and so on. That's for another podcast, I think. Yes. But yeah, of course, it's frustrating. But but I do look back at things that, you know, in the pension space, you know, I'm still working in that space that I did that I'm, you know, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say I'm proud of, but I'm proud of. Hmm. And and still doing it. And in the work that you do in the city now, providing support for people whose pension situations would otherwise be pretty dreadful. Yeah, I think I've tried to think post being a minister and MP what I can what I can give back. And so as an individual, I've missed the casework side of things. So I've now trained as a debt counsellor and do some of that work, which is just shocking and, and you know really earths you. Uh, I do some casework for the pensions ombudsman service as a volunteer, trying to help people solve the pension problem. So I try and use my individual skills. And then in my professional life, I'm a, a partner at a pensions consultancy, and they've been very good at giving me time to do campaigning almost uh, on state pensions so I started some research a year ago and we unearthed 200,000 women being underpaid three billion pounds in state pensions which Mm. is amazing really and I had no idea it would be of that scale and a lot of the last year has been spent replying to emails from members of the public or they phone up and say I couldn't get through to the DWP so I phoned you you know and it's it's kind of nice to be able to use the skills that you've got in a new forum uh, still to try and benefit people. Well, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. And thank you ever so much for everything you have done in politics and everything you do since and being such a tremendous witness. Uh, Steve, God bless you and good luck. Lovely to be with you, Tim. Thank you. Well, this is the part of the show where you get the chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political, or even personal. And this week, we've got a question from Claire in Enfield. Tim, when you see something wrong that you feel you need to speak out on, particularly something controversial, how do you go about calling out that injustice without inadvertently causing division in the community, as the Bible tells us we shouldn't? Well, Claire, that is an excellent question, and it's a tough one. Let's see if I can do justice to it. I mean, the first thing to say when it comes to the gospel, um, we are to proclaim it appropriately, meekly, gently, um, confidently, and the gospel will cause offence to people because it tells us that we're not our own and that we owe everything to uh, the almighty. That jars with all of us, um, and it particularly jars with those who've not yet put their trust in in Christ. But I think you're probably talking about something more political, something uh, within the community that can be quite divisive. And in which case, I mean, if you look at the evidence and the examples we have in the Bible, those who speak very stridently and perhaps without care about the offence that they uh, would tend to cause, they tend to be prophets, don't they? Um, Called by God to send a very, very, very stark message to the people. You and me, Claire, we're not prophets. Um, And I think the evidence from the Bible and the advice, the suggestions, the instructions we have, um, particularly from the the epistles in the New Testament, is that we should speak appropriately and gently, and we should seek to live quiet lives in the community where we've been placed. 
we should never be neutral, should we, about something that we feel passionate about and where there's injustice. Um, you know, meekness is not the same as, as weakness. But we should also always be considering the well-being and the thoughts, uh, the feelings of the other side in all this to consider um, why they hold the view that they do. And indeed, as somebody else said, to seek first to understand before we make ourselves understood. Well, if you've got a question you'd like me to answer, please write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come towards the end of our time, I'd love it if you'd join me in prayer. Well, loving Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up to you, Sasha Johnson. Uh, we pray for her physical healing, um, that you would um, help her and ensure that she recovers from the, the gunshot wound that she's been a victim of. We pray for comfort and blessing for her loved ones. We thank you for her passion, for her community. And we thank you for those medical professionals who are working um, to heal her. Uh, bless them and encourage them. We are grateful to you for them also. Lord, we just cry out for our country, um, divided though it often feels. We thank you for the witness of uh, people like Steve Webb and Ian Duncan Smith, um, godly men uh, with very different political views who show that they can work together. And we thank you that's a model um, for us as Christians, not all to enter coalition government, but to uh, understand one another and to show to the rest of the world um, that we can put uh, our love for one another and our love for the Lord Jesus uh, as something which unites us uh, ahead of those things which uh, divide us. We want to thank you also, Lord, for progress there has been in Israel and Palestine over the last few days of a ceasefire. We pray for that ceasefire to be embedded and for, the, for peace to reign in that region, for justice uh, to reign and for your will to be done. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got a break next week, but we're going to be back in a couple of Tuesdays time with Andrew Salou, the Conservative MP who is asked all kinds of questions by MPs about the church because he represents the Church of England in Parliament. I'm Tim Farron. Thanks very much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.